This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival is on soon from May 6th to 9th. The programme is full of Aotearoa's best and brightest writers with workshops, readings, discussions and lots of great books to discover and read. Sessions with Vincent O'Sullivan, Witi Ihimaira, Nalini Singh, David Eggleton, Elizabeth Knox and more. And don't miss the Storytime double-decker bus trip for the wee ones. Tickets and info from dunedinwritersfestival.co.nz. Don't wait. And my next guest this morning is Derek Morrison, also taking part in Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival. It was when he was studying veterinary science at Massey that he discovered two passions, photography and surfing, and those have very much formed uh, his life and his work from this point on. He's, uh, of course, a contributor to uh, a wonderful uh, surf lifestyle and culture photo blog, Box of Light, uh, and he's uh, here in Dunedin with his company, Adventure Media Group. A part of a couple of sessions at the festival, and we'll talk about those now with Derek Morrison. Maureen, lovely to have you with us. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me in, Jeff. Really stoked to be here. You've um, published, of course, some beautiful books, and we'll talk about Surf Dreams in a moment, and I know you're working on other other things. Um, but let's go, go back a bit and, and tell us a little bit about where that passion for surfing and photography was first ignited for you. Uh, well, I think with um, probably with surfing, uh, firstly, just uh, grew up on a farm, and then when um, I went to uh, to university and sort of realised that I was going to go down the veterinary track, I started to miss, you know, having that that sort of adventure every day that you'd have on a farm, and so surfing kind of replaced that a little bit for me. So I'd end up being able to go out to these amazing places. We actually went to university at Massey University, so my nearest coastlines were Wairarapa and Taranaki for surf. So quite a big trek to both of those. And uh, but they're just amazing places, and I just really sort of fell in love with that whole lifestyle right then and there. You know, sleeping on the beaches and <laughs> freezing cold, and you know the, all the sort of hardship that goes along with it. But then the reward of getting some nice waves as well. And photography. Well, while I was at university, a friend of mine uh, lent me a camera, and I took it out to one of our trips to the to the Wairarapa. And um, the editor of one of the surfing magazines at the time asked me to send the photos in, and they sent me back a cheque for one hundred and thirty seven dollars. And I remember just thinking, "Well, this is this is way better than vet science." <laughs> I'm going to be outside. Back then, a lot of the vet science was going into research as well, and I didn't really want to be in the lab situation. So I thought. Hang on, I'm trading. I'm trading this for uh, cameras, and I'll, I'll learn the craft. And so that's what I did. I followed that for about ten years, just trying to race around the country. Did a lot of snowboarding photography, a lot of surf photography, and really uh, lived on two minute noodles for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Were you inspired at all by you know surfing magazines or other sport magazines and the photography that you saw there? Um, always inspired by the other surf magazines, especially a lot of the... And then there was a lot of the US and a couple of the Aussies uh, surf photographers were just doing amazing things. A guy called Ted Grambo, who I got to meet recently, is just... He's probably one of the greats of, of, the, of surf photography, and I re- remember looking at his photos from when I very first started and all the way through. So I just got to see his whole journey, which was amazing. Um, and also skate photography. There's something just really sort of raw, but incredibly creative in skate photography and still today I think those guys are probably some of the best uh, sports photographers that that exist. And of course with surf photography in particular um, this is not necessarily land-based photography is it? Some of the best images are taken in the water. 
That's right, yeah. Look, I think because I partake in the sports as well, so like for snowboarding photography, you're on your snowboard and you're around the mountain, and I loved the fact that I was snowboarding the whole time as well. With surf, you could get stuck on the beach with a big lens, and I really didn't like that very much. So very quickly, we started developing water housings, and uh, guy Craig Levers, CPL, he started uh, to make the first water housings that in my era, and we would use those and swim out in the water and... And take 36 shots as <laughs> best we can, and then come back in and change the roll of film, and away we go. Did you always feel as though you had your eye in, that you knew how to compose a photo? You, you got excited when you saw one that knew, you knew would have a good chance of being published somewhere? Uh, I did. I did know what would be published, I guess. I did know what they were after, but I don't know whether I had a great eye to start with. I think that developed to get what I was happy with. I kind of was shooting to the brief, I guess. And back in my day when I started, it was always blue skies was the first thing. If it was grey, you just didn't shoot, which is kind of crazy now. Um, but, yeah, that was that was what I was doing. Yeah. Were there many others working in the field here in New Zealand at that time? There was probably about five or six photographers, surf photographers. It was really, really hard to get into. Mm. There was a big barrier to entry was the cost of the equipment to start with. It was very expensive, um, and every time you push the shutter button down, that <laughs> was a dollar. Yeah, right. So it's a big learning curve. And, you know, you have to try and make some of that money back, and, and, and through through publication is the way to do it. Were you just um, firing material out uh, on a freelance basis? Exactly, yeah. You'd get your set of slides, and you might send them to the other side of the world, <laughs> and you're waiting for a couple of months sometimes for those to come back to be able, if they don't get accepted, to submit them somewhere else. Um, a lot of the time in New Zealand, we'd work quite closely with the industry. So you might have Billabong come along and they, they're wanting to you know, update their adverts with a new shot from a, of a Kiwi surfer, which is amazing and awesome. So we would do our best to help those guys out. And they would back then, they'd pay you really well as well. At what point did you feel, hey, I think this is something I can, um, perhaps among other things in my life, you know, make a career out of? Uh, <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know. I think I never really thought about it, to be honest. I just was doing it. So from a very early on, I just started doing it, and I never really thought about the future of that much. Um, I just was in that moment. And really, for a long time, it definitely did not would not have supported you know, what, what I've been able to do. I think um, I've been quite lucky... Somehow, the path of, that's come my way has has meant that I've been able to raise a family, you know, and I've got you know I've got three kids and a nice wee dog, and been able to raise them on photography, which is quite difficult to do. Uh, I was probably very lucky to have a breakthrough when I went to Sydney in two thousand and worked on magazines there, and that was at the start of a ten year sort of period of magazines going like gangbusters. You know, we were making more money out of selling magazines than we were out of advertising. That's how how big that that era was. Yeah. When you finished in Sydney, you came to Dunedin. Uh, why? I came really, but I married a Dunedin girl, so that was one of the um, draw cards to come back to family here. Uh, but um, both of us really loved the fact that we had this incredible environment here. You know, you had the surf, so much surf here. It's such a big, well kept secret, really. But you know, Dunedin has got an amazing waves and such a variety. So for me, I could see that I could live in a place where within 40 minutes I could surf just about every day and surf world-class waves a lot of the time. What does your working life look like now? Uh, It varies from month to month. So I've just come out of a three-month period of 
pretty much being locked in front of a computer, which is not typical for me. But no, generally I'm fairly flexible. I can go and work on the road. I can do what, what I need to do and put in a lot of surfing time into that. All my children surf now as well, so I spend a lot of time surfing with them, which is amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I slot my work around that. Box of Light, for anyone who hasn't come across it, um, describe it for us. Okay, so Box of Light started when I got back, actually, when I came back to Dunedin. It was uh, kind of looking around the coastline. It kind of felt like the city didn't really understand or appreciate what it had as an asset there. So I thought, oh, you know, I should show people what this is. And so I started to, to put together a series of photos every week. And then on uh, Tuesday morning at 10.30, for almost 10 years now, it's, I've sent out an email to those subscribers, and that's showing this coastline and what I love about it and the little stories from the coastline as well. You know, whether it be our sort of our, you know, the amazing stories that are happening with our sea lions at the moment or our amazing surfers that are doing incredible things or just random people who are turning their cars into uh, being able to run on, on old fish and chip oil, you know. And you have an interactive relationship with that readership? Yeah, it is. Yeah, through, especially um, a lot through social media, obviously, but um, they, I get emails constantly. So the email goes out on at 10.30 on a Tuesday and a lot of people feel really a really close attraction to it. Um, it's free to subscribe, but they they sort of feel like they're following, following part of that journey as well and, and it's part of their journey for a lot of people as well. So I'll get a lot of emails from people who have just just stoked with whatever we've done or it's something that they want to know something about a photo that's been put into that um, into that sort of edition. Let's talk about Surf Dreams, which is a beautiful book. I've got it in front of me now. Uh, and it's, well, you, you, you described the character of this. What did you want to do with Surf Dreams? Ideally, what I was trying to do was to capture the New Zealand's most iconic surf towns. So surf towns are places that are just, you know, they've got this underlying little culture of surfing and they have vibrant you know sort of almost surfboard making industry in amongst them and they've got incredible waves uh, and so I wanted to sort of capture that because it's something that I fell in love with around New Zealand and having traveled to sort of Australia and, uh, and internationally a little bit surfing I kind of realized that what we had in New Zealand's quite unique it wasn't the same culture as Hawaii it wasn't the same culture as Australia we actually had a sort of almost like a little gumboots and swan dry culture which I just I just loved it really appealed to me from the farming background as well and so we were sort of I sort of went out there with sort of tried to peel back my way of looking at all these towns and go into them and see them as they are and even to the extent with somewhere like Ahipara where I went to the famous shipwreck bay a massive left series of left hand point breaks and I went there on a day when or on a, on a couple of over a week basically where there wasn't a lot of swell it was actually quite small, but I got to see these locals in their environment, and they were the real locals who surf every day. Surfing, okay, they weren't great, they weren't big waves, but they were having an incredible time. There were kids coming out and teenagers there and surfing, and it was actually the real locals. Um, and you, then I learned that when there's a big swell, it gets taken over by Aucklanders and all surfers <laughs> from every other area of the country uh, because it's such a famous wave to, um, to go and, and surf when it's really good. Are they always welcoming communities? Uh, they are. I was, I was very lucky they are, and I think I was probably because I've been involved in it for such a long time that I knew people who could vouch for me for all of those. Um, but there are definitely are communities where they're not as sort of as modern thinking in their sort of approach to, to newcomers coming to the coastline. Um, there's quite a few um, that are sort of holding on to this old, old sort of, I guess it's like a 1980s sort of localism attitude, which uh, 
I don't know if it's completely wrong either because it helps to keep the peace. A good example was uh, if, you're, if you're surfing at Stent Road and you're being a bit of a prick in the surf, someone's going to punch you in the head and you'll stop being a prick. Um, and so what's happened in Raglan is they're very nice people now and they're all very welcoming to all the visitors. And so you get people who have been a prick just carry on being a prick for the whole session and uh, there's no sorting of them out and then eventually they'll run someone over and someone gets hurt and and so there's almost they've almost lost a little bit of that sort of balancing so so for people outside of surfing those even those kind of anecdotes would be quite surprising perhaps um that that there's also almost perhaps a, a, some form of initiation or introduction that has to happen before there's an acceptance there's there's whether they'll impart information about where the best places are to go f- and whether you have to make uh, enough of a connection with those people for that to happen or you might forever remain in the dark those kinds of things sound unusual to to those who might perhaps follow other sports um, what is it <laughs> about yeah surf culture and I'm sure that's not unique to New Zealand that's there's aspects of that I guess all around the world what what is it is it something about the, the very primal nature of it 100% it's about the primal nature of it that's exactly a good way to good way to look at it look you've got um, you can only a surf break can only handle so many people and what's happened over the years is you've got breaks like Raglan where you have Back in the day, there were people just surfing by themselves and there was no problem. And now you've got 100, 200 people spreading out along the points there on a, on a weekday and, it's, and it gets too too busy and hectic. So you have these secret spots that people only a few people know. And if you're in the know, you know. And if you don't, you don't. And I, I'm, I'm very aware of them, acutely aware of them. As a photographer, we're not even supposed to take photos of them at all. So there are places where I would never go with my camera. I'll go and surf with my friends if I get invited, if I'm lucky enough to get invited, but I wouldn't take my camera and I won't take photos of them. And even here around Dunedin, there's places that I'm very aware not to photograph too much. So I may go and photograph them once in for a box of light and I won't make too much of a fuss about it anywhere else and keep it under wrap under lock and key. Um, and I have, you know, I do photograph lineup shots that have never seen the light of day, which is a line-up shot is when you've got the waves, the whole setup and the landscape, and you've got the waves peeling down a point break. And I've got, um, you know, shots like that that I've kind of consciously, some, you know, um, myself, I cannot, you know, hand on heart, put those photos into the public arena because of what they will do. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, you touch on some of that, of course, in Surf Dreams, which is, you know, part a beautifully pictorial book, but also it's the stories. It's about the people as much as that. And um, and I do encourage you to get your hands on it and look at it. Um, but that's not the only project you've been working on. You've got another you've got another thing bubbling under. Tell us about that. Okay. So, yeah, no, so I've been working on another project, which is sort of along the lines of um, – People's passion for the ocean and for their for their lakes and their and their their environments, um, and it's around their their places where they live. So their batches, their homes by the sea, and and really about their story of what they do living there. And it's these it's we've managed to get a collection that's quite diverse, and it's some amazing amazing New Zealanders, and it's really capturing a little bit of that New Zealand coastal lifestyle. Um, and I've yeah I've actually been working on that pretty hard for the last few months and uh, actually just yesterday I sent the final pages through which I feel pretty happy about it's quite a nice relief but um, really loved working on the project it was just yeah, sensational mainly because of the quality of the people that I got to uh, into the book um, just incredible yeah. so what's your timeline for that do you think 
uh, hoping to have that come out around November um, this year. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival because it's an exciting time uh, and you're a part of a couple of sessions. The first of those is the Gala Showcase uh, when you get to, among other people, consider the question, what does the future hold? Now, this is a session that's taking place at Toy Otago Settlers Museum Thursday the 6th of May from 7.30. What's your approach to going into that session? Well, that's a really that's a really good question. It's um, it's such an open open brief, and because of the the nature of it, it can go it could go in any direction, you know. Um, and so my my way of looking at it is to kind of start with a kind of a concept around looking at the the way each person each person's perspective on what the future might hold as well and so and also what they want and so about putting yourself in other people's shoes is my sort of working concept on this one and how um you uh can look at look at the future from other people's um other people's steps rather than just sort of your own and also being able to you know being able to have that kind of a broader broader viewpoint. Well, you join an amazing lineup: David Eelton, Gillian Sullivan, Becky Manawatu, Nalini Singh, as well as part of that session. And then uh, on Saturday, the eighth of May, uh, also at Dunedin Public. Uh, no, this one's at Dunedin Public Art Gallery, and it's Rivers, Riptides, and Roads. Three o'clock in the afternoon, you're joining uh, Dougal Rulestone there for that session, and you'll be talking with uh, Bruce Ainsley as well. Looking forking to that. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's great. I mean, we're, looking, we're talking there about, you know, the sense of self in wild places, which is something that always throughout my career, that's one of the big kind of attractions for me as being into that place where you feel so small and so so insignificant. And so being able to um, discuss that with the calibre of these guys is actually pretty, pretty um, exciting to me as well. Well, Derek Morrison's been my guest for the last few minutes. Thanks so much, Derek, for taking some time to join us here on ORFM. All the very best for that uh, future publication and, of course, for your experience of Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival. Hey, thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. The Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival is on soon, from May 6th to 9th. The programme is full of Aotearoa's best and brightest writers, with workshops, readings, discussions and lots of great books to discover and read. Sessions with Vincent O'Sullivan, Witi Ihimaira, Nalini Singh, David Eggleton, Elizabeth Knox and more. And don't miss the Storytime Double Decker bus trip for the wee ones. Tickets and info from DunedinWritersFestival.co.nz Don't wait. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.